Good evening. It is good to see each one. It's good to be together to worship God again tonight. What a wonderful time of worship we've already had. And now we will open our scriptures and go into uh, a study on a very um, delicate and challenging topic. Uh, to be like God, we must be people that forgive. But our human and fleshly nature will fight it all the way along the way. And so it's a real interesting battle of the will of flesh against the will of God. And I hope and I pray that each of us here would be willing to submit to the will of God and truly learn to practice the forgiveness that God is teaching us about. And we'll get in that lesson in just a moment. We do want to remind everyone to continue praying for the orphanage and for the Edwards family uh, with Roberta's loss. And then also, of course, continue uh, praying for little Jojo, the little boy that, that they're looking for uh, from the orphanage, the four-year-old. Also continue to pray for the team, Josh and Whitney Gravel and the team. They're working with the, the embassy there in Haiti and hopefully will be able to come home tomorrow is the hopes and the plan. Also, we are so thankful that our father-son retreat uh, was a great success. It tends to have that track record of always being a great success, uh, but we're thankful so many went, and uh, we appreciate Clint McCullough and him organizing this each year and, and doing great work with our men's ministry. Uh, but I also want to mention that Tyler Stanfield uh, preached this morning at the service that they had there, and I think that was Tyler's first time to uh, deliver a lesson, and we are thankful uh, for that, and I uh, want to continue uh, to encourage all of our young men uh, to serve God in whatever gifts and abilities God has given them. As we think about forgiveness, I'd like for you to think with me, or more importantly than thinking with me, let's open the scriptures, and, and we will not have slides for these particular scriptures, but I hope you'll, you'll open the scriptures with me, and what we're going to have to do uh, is you're going to pull from your memory a little bit of two weeks ago. We're going to rehearse just a few of the things there in Matthew 18, and we're going to spend a few minutes reminding ourselves of what forgiveness is what forgiveness is. And then at the end of this lesson, we're going to spend that last half of the lesson looking at what forgiveness is not. And as we look at this, I hope you realize that forgiveness is a very broad topic. Uh, forgiveness is not just one simple, narrow thing. Oh, I'll figure this out and, and I'll say that I forgive you and, and everything is good. Uh, there is a lot more than that to it. And so we look at, at Matthew the 18th chapter. And in Matthew the 18th chapter, the whole chapter is about offenses. First, it starts out in humility, but then it's about offenses, how to address offenses, and that eventually leads us to the topic of forgiveness, because that's what we have to do when there have been offenses that have taken place. I want to remind you in verse 7, woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. In other words, we cannot live on this earth without offenses. Why is it important that we begin there tonight? It's important we begin there tonight because that is saying you can't live on this earth and be what God wants you to be without being a person that forgives. You know, right, right now, if I said, when's the last time you've forgiven somebody? And if it hasn't been in the last few days or the last few weeks, you probably got a problem with not forgiving as you should. Because we live in a world of imperfect people. And we are constantly going to have people that do offensive things to us, toward us, etc. That's what verse 7 is getting at. And so we must be people that are willing to forgive. But as Christians... Our forgiveness has a lot more. Now, you listen, this is so important. As Christians, our forgiveness has a lot more to do with, I just want me to feel better. 
So I'm going to forgive you so I feel better. Listen, it's wonderful when you and I can feel good. It's wonderful when we can find peace. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but that's not the standard of our forgiveness. The standard of our forgiveness is we want to serve God. We want to do God's will. And first and foremost in that, we care for your soul and my soul. I'm going to forgive you because I want my soul right with God. Now, that should be our attitude. And I'm also going to forgive you in a way that shows I care for your soul. Now, I know that's foreign to a lot of time when we talk about forgiveness. We make it self-centered. It's all about, I want you and I to feel better. If you'll forgive me, you'll feel better. If I forgive you, you'll feel better. And that's good when the feel better comes, but the feel better is not the standard and it is not the motive of why we forgive as Christians. Yes, secularly speaking, that's probably the motive for the world, but that is not the motive for Christians. We care for souls. That's why coming out of this paragraph of offenses, you see there in verse 12, we start the parable of the 100 sheep, 99 stay at home, one goes astray. Well, who's going to go after the one that's gone astray? Whoever cares enough for the soul. See at the end of verse 14, even so it's not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In other words, who's going to be like God? Who's going to say, I don't want you to perish? Who's going to say, I don't want to perish? People that forgive get it. Christians that forgive. And so then verse 15 and following, he talks about how to deal with that offense. You go to that brother one-on-one, and then if you need to, you take two with you. If you need to, you take it to the whole church. Well, who would do that? Somebody that cares for souls. Somebody that says, this is so important. We want, we want to spend an eternity together. We want to be with God. And so Peter asked the question, how many times do we want to forgive? And then as we studied two weeks ago, the latter part of this is where the master calls in collection of debts, and there's one man that owes 10,000 talents that is lifetimes, with a lot of S's on the end, lifetimes of salary. There is no way a person could repay that kind of debt. The master, he begs. The master has compassion on him and forgives him. He leaves there and immediately finds a guy that owes him a hundred denarii and grabs him around the neck and throws him into prison when he can't forgive him. A hundred denarii was still a lot of money. It was a hundred days wages. But still, it was nothing like what he had been forgiven. And so because of that, and if you're scanning with me, th this is, I think, some important principles at the end of this. It's starting to be wrapped up. In 31, what we see was that when the other servants saw the way he treated him without compassion, they were very grieved. And then in 32, the master called him a wicked servant. And then in 33, what he told him he should have had was compassion. And in 34, he said, I'm going to throw you back to the torturers now. Because in 35, what you should have done was you should have forgiven from the heart. <clears throat> Christians. It ought to grieve us when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ refusing to forgive. We cannot sit on the sidelines and accept that. We cannot sit on the sidelines and say, that, that's no big deal. That's an offense. That's where we have to get involved and say, you have to work this out. This is important. Your soul's at stake if you don't work it out. And what if you cause the other to stumble that the offense is with? It grieved. There's a reason why the Lord put this in the parable. He's telling a parable. What did it do to the other servants around? It grieved them. What did it do to the master? The master grew very angry and called him wicked. 
The lack of forgiveness is wickedness. And then when he says, what is it that you should have done? He says, you should have had compassion. Do you realize compassion is when you offer someone something that they do not have the right to? That's the beauty of compassion. It's going well beyond what you would say is reasonably expected. That's what forgiveness is. We don't forgive someone because they always deserve it. Is that, is that acceptable to you? We don't forgive someone because they always deserve it. We forgive someone because our Father has forgiven us and taught us to be willing to forgive. Compassion. The Good Samaritan. The reason he reached out and helped the guy that was half beaten to death, the Scripture says, was because he had compassion. What does that mean? That man lying dead did not have the right to say, Hey, Samaritans. Take the S off that. Hey, Samaritan. I have the right to your donkey. Put me on it right now. I have the right to require you to get me an inn for the night. Go get me one. I have the right to ask you to stay up and care for me all night long. Stay up and care for me. I have the right to tell you to pay the bill for me. That's why it was compassion. He did for the man what the man could not say. It's my right to require you to do this. That's where forgiveness comes from. Forgiveness comes from the very aspect that one would be offered something that you could turn the coin around to the flip side and say, well, I don't even have the right to expect that. Well, in one sense, that's the beauty of forgiveness. It has that kind of compassion. That's why in this parable that Jesus makes up to say, I want to show you the importance of forgiveness. He says, you should have had compassion. And then at the end of this, we've already mentioned he grew angry with him because he wouldn't forgive. He threw him back into prison and he told him he should have forgiven from the heart. Now, we're going to go to two more passages and, and just kind of lay some groundwork again of what forgiveness is. Will you turn with me into Matthew, the fifth chapter? Matthew, the fifth chapter. How important is forgiveness? I'd like for you to think about for just a moment forgiveness again between brothers and sisters in Christ. That's kind of what we capitalized on back in Matthew 18. And at this particular verse, he capitalizes on that again. Let's look at verse 23 and 24. Therefore, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, very early in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, there in other words, it's a scene of worship. And there, remember that your brother... So it's a, it's a brother, it's a spiritual family here. Your brother has something against you. Leave your gift, therefore, at the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What's the requirement if we have a brother and sister? The Lord says, I want there to be reconciliation. Now note that because later on we're going to talk about the fact that sometime in forgiveness, reconciliation is not required. So we say, what's the reconciliation here? He says, this is important because it's a brother. It could be brothers and sisters. There's two that are children of God. If I fail to forgive you, who do I need to be reconciled with? Now, not only do I have problems with you, if I fail to forgive you as a brother, now I have problems with God. And so the reconciliation here is pointing to the fact that I should leave. I can't. God says, I don't want your worship. Listen, there's no reason to bring a gift to the altar if God's saying, buddy, you left my ways. I told you how to deal with that and you're refusing to deal with it. There's, there's no reason to bring your gift. Lay it down. Go seek forgiveness. In other words, care for your soul. Care for their soul. 
We're family. Just as Philip talked about at the beginning of service tonight, this is family. If we do spiritual life right, and within that, if we do forgiveness right, we're going to live forever together. And so we go and we reconcile with that brother. But notice, the great reconciliation is, I want, remember, we see the soul. Christians focus on the soul instead of the event of pain. If you can't remember that, jot that down. That is huge. Christians focus on the soul instead of the event of pain. And so we go and, and we seek, hey, I want, I want you and I, because we are the family of God, we need to be able to work through this because when our discussion here is over, I want you to be reconciled with God and I want to be reconciled with God because I want us to be able to go back and lay our gifts on the altar and know that we are reconciled with each other and with God. It's always about the souls. Now, with that in mind, what about the times when it's not a brother or sister? And whoever we have a difference with, we have an offense with, they have no desire to do what is right. They may not even have a desire to forgive. So how, how do we deal with that situation? Well, you remember here in the fifth chapter, the last of the Beatitudes in verse 10, and then he explains more about it in 11 and 12, is people that would persecute us for righteousness sake. And then Jesus calls them out in the 43rd verse, and he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now that's not correct. That's why he says in 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. So how do we deal with people that there are offenses between us where we can truthfully say, right there's my enemy. How do you know they're your enemy? <laughs> they regularly hurt me. They say things, they do things, they've injured me, they've injured my family. Go back to the end of verse 10, 11, and 12. They persecute us. We are living a righteous life. They bring a lot of harm in our life. They bring a lot of pain in our life. All right, Lord, what do you want me to do with those individuals? The Jews has found solace in the fact of saying, I tell you what, God wants us to love our neighbors. But see, they didn't call their enemies their neighbors. They tried to, to uh, take a spin, if you will, off of a word and say, well, when he said love your neighbors, that was only the people that were like you, the people you got along with. And all the ones that you didn't get along with, you put them under the term enemy and you didn't have to love them. And he says, oh no, I want you to love them. See there in 44, and here's what you do. Bless those who curse you. So if you have somebody that has been speaking and working against you to become your enemy, here's what God is saying I want you to do in a spirit of forgiveness. I want you to bless them. What about people that really, they straight up hate you? Do good. That's active. That's, that, is, that is proactive. Do good to those who hate you. And then what about those that would just spitefully use you? Pray for them. Even when they persecute you, pray for them. Who would do that? Only Christians. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Now, this is very important. Notice this standard. Because God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than, than others? Not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. 
Now you notice what we're talking about here is a shift. Jesus here in dealing, teaching us to deal with enemies that have no desire to serve God, we do not deal with them in such a way for them to seek reconciliation toward God in a direct fashion. Now, obviously, we always want someone to be saved. And whatever way we could encourage them, we would. But notice, this particular individual, God says, look, I know they're evil. And you know what I do? I love them, and I put a sunrise over their house, just like I put a sunrise over the people's house that are righteous. And he says, when their crops need rain, you know what I do? God says, that evil person that's hurting my children... They hate me. God says, you know what I do? I send a rain on their crops. And you know what I'm telling you to do? I'm telling you that even toward those who are evil, where you may not have, in a sense, an influence on their soul. Now, hopefully we could some way. But he says, it doesn't matter. I still want you to interact with them based on this big word, love. Agape. Remember, agape is making a decision to do what is right and best towards someone, and it's unconditional. In other words, it doesn't mean, hey, enemy, you be nice to me today, I'll be nice to you. Unconditional says, you be mean to me today, and I still am going to make a decision to do what's right and best to you. Who would do that? First, God would. Send the rain and the sunshine on the just and the unjust. And he teaches those that want to be perfect like him to offer the same kind of love whenever they have been harmed by others. And so in that, it is a spirit of forgiveness. It is a, a definite change of the way we would otherwise do fleshly. Turn with me, if you will, Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter, let me quickly remind you in verse 17, 18, and 19, as we think about, uh, in a minute, when we talk about some of the things that, that forgiveness is not... Uh, this maybe is not said real bluntly in what forgiveness is not, so let me say it bluntly here out of the scriptures. Our human nature is we love to punish people. A lot of time in marriages, the reason we mess up our marriages is because we like to punish each other. You're not doing things exactly the way they should, and I'm afraid if I just stand by and I watch you, you're just going to keep doing it, so it's my place to punish you. Listen, godly parents punish their children. Godly spouses do not punish their spouses. Godly brothers and sisters in Christ don't go around saying, oh, you hurt me, and I'm so afraid if, if, if I don't punish you some way, you're going to hurt me again. It's not our place to go around punishing people. We don't like a decision the elders make. It's not our place to punish the elders. We don't like something a deacon did that's leading mystery. It's not our place to punish them. You have a good friend, and that good friend, for some reason, just hurts you to the very core of your being one day. It's not your place to punish them. And, and so, really, Romans, the 12th chapter and the 13th chapter, just strikes gold on that to say, if we could get this, how different would our life be? And, and so, read with me, if you will, and think about this, what, what God is teaching us through Paul here. In Romans 12, I, I know it's just, you know, we can just hear his words, or we can take it with the deep meaning these words communicate. Please think about these words in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. If it's an enemy, if it's a spouse, if it's a child, if it's a parent, if it's a friend, it doesn't matter who it is. When they do evil for us, it's not our place to punish them. I'm going to do evil back to you. Instead, what do we do? Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
Now, does that mean everything's going to work out peaceful? No. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Why does he say if it's possible? Because some people won't let us live a peaceful life. You may have a coworker that they are determined every day to stir something up. You just make sure when they stir something up, it's not because of you, it's because of them. And don't have the attitude that says, I'm going to finish it. Have the attitude that says, I'm going to bless you when you curse me. I'm going to do good for you when you hate me. And I'm going to pray for you when you spitefully use me. That's what we have to have. But, but notice this. Not all, everybody can be lived with in a peaceful fashion. Hey, over here, you need to remember that when you go to pick out a spouse. That's very important. All right. Now, look at, look at verse 18 and 19. Or look at 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Now, here goes. Is that about punishment? Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he gives that same standard again. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. In so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Powerful there. God, I'm just so afraid that if I don't punish him, and God would say, shh, I've got this. Don't worry. But God, I'm so afraid you won't be able to punish him the way. Are you kidding me? He's all knowing. He's almighty. Do you trust God can do what God says he can do? Do you trust that he can do it better than you? Now, if you say yes to those, and I hope you do, if you say yes to those, will you now say, I believe it when it comes to vengeance, and now I'm going to be, have a much more ready spirit to forgive others because the last thing that I'm going to say from now on is I need to punish you. God will take care of your spouse. God will take care of your coworker that's mean to you. God will take care of your neighbor that that's not nice at all. He will. Believe it. Just as sure if you could take your key and, and key the side of their car, God can do it better. Whatever you think would be the perfect vengeance, I assure you, God can do it better. And so the question is, will you believe him? Will you trust him? Well, what about if it's a criminal matter? When we go into the 13th chapter along this same topic, now he says, but what about government? And and God has established government. And for time's sake, let me just read verse four. For he is God's minister to you for good. Talking about the, the government that God has ordained. If you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. What do we see there? There we see the fact that God makes it clear that in the big picture, dealing with individuals, they've not done anything criminally wrong. God says, don't worry. I'll seek the vengeance. You don't have to handle that at all. You just do good toward them, and I'll take care of whatever punishment that needs to come their way. Well, God, what about if it's something that's criminal? What about our society we're, we're going to have a horrible neighborhood if, if people do wrong and they just get by with it. He says, oh, no, no, I've covered that too. I'm the one that designed government. And I know you probably noticed this before, but isn't it neat? Several times in that passage, we didn't read it all there, but several times in that passage, he calls government his ministers. 
God said, I put them in place to minister for me. God, what do you mean about a secular position to say they minister? He says, because that's the way I've designed for good communities to punish evil. And so if it's criminal, you can forgive and still press charges. Now, 1 Corinthians 6, hesitate on that if they're a brother or sister in Christ. That, that's a wrinkle in that. But if they're not a brother and sister in Christ, you forgive, but then you say, but I'm going to let God handle it. And this is the way God has designed to handle this. He's put government in place. I'll let you and the government work this out, uh, the authorities. Okay, what forgiveness is not. Here's a list of things forgiveness is not. Number one, it's not pardon. In other words, uh, to, to offer pardon to someone is to say, I have some kind of authority that I can alleviate uh, a sentencing upon you. The third party would be the judge. You, nor the other offended one, is a judge. Only judges can offer pardon. And so again, we're thinking the fact that it's my job in forgiveness to make sure first you're punished, then I'll forgive you. Are you listening? We can forgive. Matter of fact, it's not our place to punish. And so it's not once I decide to not punish you, I'll forgive you. Or once I see you punished, I'll forgive you. It doesn't have anything to do with pardon. Number two, it doesn't have to do with absolving. Now, this is dealing with religious connotation of spiritual forgiveness. In other words, for you and I to say to someone or by our actions to actually carry out the fact of, I forgive you, you are not saying to that other person, and by the way, because I said I forgive you, now you're right with God. Stating the obvious, you're not God. You're not speaking for God. You can forgive someone, and at the same time, God can look down, and he can say, me and this person still haven't reconciled. That would happen a lot. And, and so keep in mind, it's not, well, I'm going to offer you something spiritually in that when I say you're forgiven, now you'll be saved. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not condoning and it's not excusing. What do we mean by this? When, you know, a lot of people, uh, I think that's part of their hang up. You'll hear this from time to time. They'll say, well, I'd like to forgive them, but if I do, I think they're just going to take it as I'm condoning them. If you were condoning it, there would be nothing to forgive. Hopefully you're a righteous person, so the only thing you would condone is something righteous. So how can you say to someone, oh, by the way, I want to forgive you, and I know that you're going to think that me forgiving you means that it's really good. Think how silly that is. You don't offer forgiveness to someone if something's really good. Oh, thanks for buying me lunch today. I forgive you for doing that. You, you, you don't do that. And so it's just, it's a weird way of thinking where probably Satan is helping to deceive you and play games in your mind. And then excusing is very similar to this next one of tolerating. Excusing, excusing is when we excuse something, but it's not moral. It's not a, a sin. And, and this is going to be very similar to the next one. A child spills, of course, accidentally, spills a glass at, at, at supper. Do you forgive that child? No. If you say, I'll forgive you, you've misunderstood what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is when someone does something morally or spiritually wrong. When people make mistakes, we excuse them. 
There's nothing to forgive when there hasn't been any moral or any uh, violated or any sin committed. And, and for example, along those same lines, forgiveness is not tolerating. Let's say, uh, make up a scenario. You want to go down to Charlie Daniels Park. You want a nice, quiet walk on Saturday afternoon in the park. And you get there and there is a Harley convention. And, and you hear all these beautiful motorcycles thumping their engine and, and you get there and you try to walk around and it's too busy to walk and it's so loud and you leave there. Now, let me ask you, are you going to forgive them? They had their, their permit to have their convention there. They had every right to be there. They didn't do anything wrong. Now, you can say, but I didn't like it. You have nothing to expect them to ask your forgiveness. You say, but I didn't like it. So it has nothing to do with forgiveness. That's tolerance. You know, the, the guy at work that constantly drums with his fingers and it gets on your last nerve, the one that constantly chews their gum that gets on your last nerve, they, it has nothing to do with forgiveness. It has to do with the fact that they annoy you. And that's tolerance. That isn't forgiveness. All right, what else is it not? It, it isn't. Now, this can definitely be involved in it, but just this alone doesn't mean. Accepting someone's apology doesn't necessarily mean forgiveness either. Uh, imagine a boss asks an employer, uh, hey, I, I just want to apologize to you. You accept my apology. And the employer very well may say yes, just because they think if I don't say that, I might lose my job. Well, there's no forgiveness in that. Forgiveness, and we're going to see this in a few of these, forgiveness is a lot more than a formality. Forgiveness is a lot more than just saying the right words. And that's all we're trying to, to make out at this point. Also, reconciliation. Reconciliation, as we talked about among Christians, is very important that we be reconciled as members of God's family. And in that, we're reconciled with God and we're reconciled with each other. But what about, what about uh, two people that are in business together and, and, and they have a big falling out and, and that later one or both says, you know, we need to forgive each other. Is the only way they can forgive each other is now they have to be reconciled and go back into business again. No, not at all. All right. What, what about, uh, you think this could ever happen? What about two missionaries that disagree upon who should be taken on the mission trip? And what if Paul says, I am not taking him. And Barnabas says, I'm not going unless we take him. And then what if later they say, hey, uh, we're cool with each other, aren't we? Now do they have to go on the mission trip together? No, they didn't go on the mission trip together. And so realize that reconciliation is not always a sign of when forgiveness has or hasn't taken place. Uh, conciliation is the action of stopping someone from being angry. And so the idea is forgiveness just, I tell you what, when I'm no longer angry at you, then I have forgiven you. No, that's not the definition of forgiveness. Now, it's wonderful when we can do the right thing with our anger. Uh, remember Ephesians 4 and 26, don't let the sun go down in wrath because if we don't, we're given a foothold for Satan in our life. And so it's important what we do with anger. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm just saying to you that, you know, like if you say, well, I, I tell you what, a week ago, I was so mad, I could, have, I could have chewed on nails. But you know, I've forgiven them now because I'm not angry anymore. If that's what you're basing forgiveness on, I'm not angry anymore, that's not 
That's, that's not a synonym. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have forgiven them. All right, and also justification. Forgiveness is not justification. In other words, there are many things that happen in life that you and I may not like at all, but it doesn't mean that forgiveness is needed when they take place. For example, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and make a, a wild guess, but I bet there's somebody here in this room that the last time you got a speeding ticket, you didn't like it. I'm just going to guess. That's probably right. Now, was there at any point along the way after you received that speeding ticket that you said, you know what, I'm going to forgive that police officer. What he did was just. You were speeding. You broke the law. You got a ticket. There's nothing that that officer needs to do to seek restitution with you. A child is punished for doing wrong. They did wrong. The punishment meets and, and lines up with what they did wrong. It's an effort to correct the child. The last thing on earth the parent ever needs to do is then go back and apologize to that child. It sends the wrong message about discipline and it sends the wrong message about justice and, and what is just. Also, number nine, forgetting. How oftentimes have we said, just forgive and forget? We don't have that luxury. We don't have the ability to say, you know what, there's a very painful time in my life and and I'm ready to forgive. Maybe I've already forgiven. Maybe I forgave years ago. But you know what I want to do now? I just want to forget about it. We don't have that luxury. We cannot make ourselves forget. So what does that mean? If we still remember, that doesn't mean we haven't already forgiven. As a matter of fact, almost anything that we have forgiven, we probably can still remember it. So just keep in mind that, that the idea of forgetting is not the same standard of forgiving and then also becoming less disappointed. I know I've, I've got to speed up here, so let me just mention these. And again, it's the idea of, of, you know, I was really disappointed in this, but now I'm not, so I guess I've forgiven. That's not a standard. Balancing the scales. I tell you what, if I can take enough off their plate and make my side look better, once I kind of get the scales evened, then I'm going to feel better. Sibling rivalry. They've hurt me in the past, and, and I'm going to forgive them once. Once I can drive a car like they can drive, then I'm going to forgive them. That kind of balance in the scales is not at all what forgiveness is about. And then also letting time heal the wound. That's, that doesn't mean forgiveness has taken place. Time can go by and we can do a lot of good and righteous things with time. We can use time to our advantage in that way. But that doesn't mean we have forgiven. And just saying, I forgive you. That can be very important words. But just saying it, that alone doesn't mean that we have forgiven. And then making a decision to forgive. That's a great start. And so let's close by looking at this last slide here. On this last slide, it may be hard to... It may, that, can you see that from a distance? What, what I'd like for you to notice, and, and those uh, last 15 or 16, uh, I, I got out of a book called Forgiveness Therapy. Forgiveness therapy, and it's, it's one that I know Jamie Harper told me about it, and I think he's used uh, that as, as one of his study books to help with some of this and recovery through Christ and a lot of good stuff in there. Um, this is a diagram that they gave there, and I just want to close this evening by reminding you of the process here where forgiveness is hardly ever just an instant in time. Oh, I tell you what, I was so mad, and then I just said, I forgive you, and it's over. But instead, what we see is that first there's an uncovering phase. Kind of have to calm down a little bit and realize what's really happened. Wow, you know, the more I think about it, <laughs> the more I see that you really did a lot of things wrong. 
The more I think about it, you've injured me in five or six different ways. Uh, the more I think about it, we've got a situation on our hands. I can't help it. You've hurt me and I'm human and I'm offended. Well, I, I'll just let time heal it. No. A Christian says, this has to be handled. My soul is worth it and your soul is worth it. And so what do we do? Then there has to be a decision phase. Am I going to handle this in a way that God would want me to handle it? Or am I going to try to handle it in a fleshly and a selfish manner? Next is a work phase. And that's just pointing to the idea that if, if we're really going to pray for people, if we're really going to seek to do good for them, if we're really going to seek to bless them, if we're really going to kick back enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to seek punishment. I'm going to let God handle this. You know, I need to go and I need to sit down with them. And I need to meet with them. All of this is a process. It's not just one thought that runs through our head where one day we say, okay, I've decided now to forgive. It's a process. And in that process, we see that, that there's that work phase. And then notice there's that deepening phase. And in that is just the beauty that this is one of the ways that you and I grow spiritually. When we truly handle offenses in a righteous way, we grow and the person we help grows. And our life is deepened spiritually. And the next time some kind of offense comes along, we ought to be better equipped to handle it because we've already been through this and we've seen the wise and the righteous way to do this. Listen, let's set our goal to go through life not offending people. But when we do offend them, we need to go and ask for forgiveness. And we need to do it because we love God. And we need to do it because we love them and their soul. And we need to do it because we care for our soul. And however it makes you feel after that, that's great. But however it makes you feel is very, very much secondary to the main reason we seek forgiveness. Do you need God's forgiveness? What a statement that is. We all need God's forgiveness. If you haven't already obtained it, what an opportunity you have tonight. You're among a family here that would love to encourage you in every step of